Welcome back to another episode of the Junkyard Pod. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, alongside my co-host, Jackson Flickinger. And today, we're going to talk all about the Cavs and Knicks. Uh, it's almost certain that the 4-5 or five matchup in the East will be between Cleveland and New York. With Cleveland most likely holding home court advantage as long as they win two of their next four games. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting series. Big market versus the small market. Uh, Jackson, what's the most important thing in this series to you? Honestly, it's rebounding. That That's kind of like the Cavs will have a tough time winning this series if they can't rebound. And we saw that on, um, on, on Friday night. The Knicks were just able to just kill the Cavs inside. They just, they got, um, hold on, I have it, have it up here. They got uh, 16 offensive rebounds. They were collecting 37% of their missed shots, which is a lot. Um, and they were using, and they use that to get 14 second chance points. So, you know, to be a good defense, you have to end possessions and the Knicks are kind of the opposite of that. The Knicks, they're 19th in the league in effective field goal percentage as a team, but they're, but they have the third best offense in the, in the entire league. And they're able to do that because they just always collect their misses. You know, they are, what is it? They're they're collecting thirty point eight percent of their uh, misses this season. That's the second best percentage in the entire league, and you know, so that's the key to shutting them down. And the Cavs weren't able to do that without with without Jared Allen. Yeah, uh, the Knicks are such a weird team with the fact that they are rated so high offensively because they really don't shoot the ball that well. They don't get a lot of assists. They don't turn the ball over, which is good, but they really kind of lack the type of firepower that you would expect from a team that is so high rated in offense, but it is because they are one of the best offensive rebounding teams. They fight for those second chance points and it's something that killed the Cavs in their most recent game. And it is something that a lot of people are kind of feeling a little concerned about for the Cavs. Uh, Since the all-star break, the Cavs rank 30th dead last in defensive rebound percentage. Now it's important to note that before the break, they were eighth in that category. They were in the top 10. And this is really because of three factors. The most important one, and we both agree on this, is Jared Allen. Uh, Before the All-Star break, he played 1,800 minutes, which was the second most on the team. Since then, he has played just 350 minutes, uh, which is sixth most on the team, just slightly above Lamar Stevens. Uh, Obviously, that's not what you would hope for in terms of his availability here at the end of the season. But the overarching point here is that the Cavs are a very good rebounding team when Allen is on the court, and they're not very good when he's not on the court. They're in the 14th percentile without Allen. Uh, and a lot of people will point to Mobley as the scapegoat there. I don't really think it's that simple. During Mobley's rookie season, yes, he struggled to rebound. He's a little skinnier. He wasn't really experienced this year. It hasn't been as much of an issue. He's an, an above average rebounder. I wouldn't say he's elite just yet, but he has been very good rebounding this year. I think the main issue is that you need a team effort to rebound, especially when it's just Mobley out there and Allen off the court. Mobley's role covering the perimeter, rotating. He, there's so much ground that he has to make up that it's just really difficult to go from the perimeter, contest a shot in the paint and grab the rebound. You need some help there. And so the third factor that I think is worth bringing up is Dean Wade. Dean Wade has only played 118 minutes since the All-Star break. He has not been healthy. When he has been on the court, he hasn't been very good. He hasn't been able to stay on the floor. The Cavs are in the 72nd percentile when Wade is in the lineup for grabbing opponent misses. And they're in the 60th percentile with Wade, but no Allen, which is much better than what they normally are without Allen. So I think those three factors are what has hurt the Cavs in the second half of the season here and bumped them down to 30th dead last. I think when we enter the playoffs, hopefully Allen will be healthy. So this issue will be mostly a non-factor. And I also think the fact that Dean Wade did get some minutes in this most recent Knicks matchup suggests that JB understands the issue. He understands that the Knicks make their killing off of getting offensive rebounds. And it might be a series where you could see a little bit of a Dean Wade resurgence. Uh. Yeah, I wouldn't get too far ahead on that uh, Dean Wade uh, resurgence. I, I just like I, I get what you're saying about like the rebounding and stuff, but I just don't. I just haven't seen it from Dean Wade this, you know, 
these last couple months, you know, his, he scored five points uh, in a game against, against the Knicks. Those were his first points in the entire month of March. Um, He just really hasn't looked comfortable and just hasn't been a productive player. Um, So if the Cavs are in a situation where they need Dean Wade to kind of be that stabilizing rebounder in in a series against the Knicks, I think we have other issues. Um, For sure. I think that if you just have, like, if Jared Allen's out there, the Cavs are just a much better rebounding team. And we've seen that in the previous games against the Knicks. This, this was actually the second game that uh, Allen missed against the Knicks. He played he played in October 30, 30th. The Knicks um, were able to get uh, 12 offensive rebounds, which – was in the uh, 73rd percentile, but in their game on January 24th, they were only able to get nine, which put them in the 41st percentile among games. So this hasn't really been a problem when Allen's out there, but when he's not, the two games that he hasn't been out there, they've been a big problem. The game that on a December 4th, which was the um, infamous travel game where there was like a million travels called, the Knicks were able to grab 14. Uh Offensive rebounds, which led to 17 second chance points. And then on Friday, they were able to grab 16. So it's there's just been a big disparity between what the Knicks have been able to do on the glass with Allen out there and what they ha- have been able to do without him. And that's where it's like, I don't think the rotation is really an um, issue. They just need Jared Allen. And if they don't have Jared Allen, it's going to be a very tough series. But I think Jared Allen's going to be out there. Yeah. Like I said, that's the overruling factor here is Allen. It's by far the biggest thing that has attributed to their kind of fall off in the second half of the year in terms of the defensive rebounding percentage there. Um, If Allen's on the court, which I am encouraged by the fact that they've just been resting him and these next few games down the season, it's really no urgency for him to play. So get right, get healthy, get ready for the playoffs. And if he's on the court, they'll most likely be fine in terms of rebounding. I'm not really too concerned. The reality is he does need to rest at some point. He will probably take 10 minutes to sit on the bench throughout the series, depending on, you know, how the rotation is going. If, if JB can trust any of those guys. And I think, okay. Yeah. I was, I went too far saying the Dean Wade resurgence. Okay. You called me out rightfully. I don't want to say resurgence, but the, the point that I was trying to make is that I think for a while there, it felt like Dean Wade was out of the rotation and JB did go to him in the next game. And Really, I think JB is kind of in a position where I don't envy him because there are all these bench players. It's like we talked about this on the last pod. JB really has the challenge of just pushing the right buttons at the right time. I don't think he really knows who he's going to be able to rely on in the playoffs because I'm sure Karis LeVert is probably the only bench guy who's going to be out there the majority of the time out of those guys, like no matter what. But then when you look at Rubio and Neto, like, is Rubio going to be able to play in this series? I think this is a really bad matchup for him in terms of Brunson and quickly are just not the type of guys that you want Rubio guarding. Neto has done a much better job on those guys. Um, Dean Wade again, like I, a few weeks ago, I might not have predicted Dean Wade would be getting minutes. And now we're looking at this next matchup and maybe he will be useful out there. Lamar Stevens (laughs) got cooked in that Knicks game. Uh, Maybe we should talk about that a little bit because using him as a point of attack defender was not the move. One thing I will say about, about uh, Stevens is he did look very bad against Brunson, but he is also a um, good rebounder. It's yes. just when you're, when you're guarding Brunson and you're on the perimeter a lot, or you're trailing, you know, trailing mm-hmm. Brunson in a lot of situations, you can't be an impactful rebounder. So that's another thing that the Cavs were really missing is, they were essentially playing like the way they were rebounding. They were basically playing like four guards almost just because Lamar was never really back in the paint to get those rebounds when he was on the floor. So it was just kind of like, you know, they tried to hide Donovan sometimes against the big and that just didn't work out from the um, rebounding perspective. And then, you know, so that's one of the things where if you have Okoro too, I think you're okay having those minutes without Allen with, with Mobley and, you know, Stevens out there. I think you're going to be a fine rebounding team. It's just, it was just kind of a perfect storm, which led to just 
everything falling apart on the defensive end, which we should note everything did fall apart on the defensive end because they gave up their worst offensive um, rating of the entire season as the Knicks posted a uh, a 138.3 offensive rating, which is crazy. So Bonkers. a lot of things went wrong. Yeah. That, I mean, the shot making in that game was unreal. The Cavs defense certainly left a lot to be desired. They did not look like themselves in that game. And this is a beautiful transition to talk about what I think is maybe the X factor in the series, Isaac Coro. Uh, when you look at Jalen Brunson, career high 48 points in that game. Now, there was some great shot making there. He had some tough shots, but he also just picked apart who the Cavs were throwing at him. Uh, Lamar Stevens, very useful player, very useful defender. Not the guy you want guarding Brunson just because he's his defensive stance is a little upright. It's a little stiff, and Brunson was just able to blow by him. He doesn't have the quickness, really, to be a point-of-attack defender. The Cavs have kind of gotten killed every time they've tried that. He's very good against you know guys like Jalen Brown, where he can use his strength and he can stay in front of people. But against Jalen Brunson, he just doesn't have the quickness. Karis LeVert has the quickness, but he is a very jumpy defender. He, he doesn't really slide his feet. He kind of hops around. And when you're playing against someone like Brunson, who is a herky-jerky stop-and-go guy, all it takes is one jump in the wrong direction, and you're cooked. And Levert found himself out of position quite a few times in that game, couldn't stay in front of Brunson. And Brunson really thrives when he's able to get into that little floater and that mid-range shot and get into his little scoop layups. And that's something that Isaac Okoro takes away. Because if you were going to like build a player in a lab to defend Jalen Brunson, it would look something like Isaac Okoro. Because he's quick enough, he's a very disciplined defender, he slides his feet, he doesn't gamble, and he's he has the upper body strength to wall off Brunson and not allow him to get into the paint. And so during the regular season, when Okoro has defended Brunson, Brunson is shooting just two for 11 from the floor. And it's not a case of Brunson just missing shots. When you watch the footage, Isaac Okoro is impacting those shots. He is taking away his bread and butter. He's forcing him away from the paint. He's taking away that floater. And more importantly, Okoro does a great job of funneling uh, opponents into the bigs. He doesn't, like Karis LeVert a lot of times will give up uh, a lane when there's no one there to help him. Okoro is great at taking that and pushing them into his help side. So that's a huge key to the series, in my opinion, because Okoro is just the best guy to stop Brunson. And you can stop Brunson. Brunson is a very talented player, but he's not you know, one of those Giannis, LeBron type guys where it's like, no matter what you can, no matter what you do, he's going to get his 30 points, right? You can slow down Brunson and Okoro is a guy who can do it. So I think that's a very important thing to keep an eye on. Yeah. And that's something that Brunson, the Cavs did a great job of keeping Brunson in check in their previous three meetings. In those games, he's only averaging 17.7 points on 41% shooting from the field. Those are numbers that you can live with. Um, And one of the things that, you know, I think you did a great job of talking about what Isaac does well. But one of the things that the Cavs were also limited in Friday's game is they didn't have Jared Allen. So you weren't able to use Evan Mobley in really creative ways. One of the things that we saw, especially last year, um, when I think that I think the point of it, I think the defense was, you know, a little weaker last year. Um, and one of the things that JB did a great job of doing was finding creative ways to get you know Evan onto the best perimeter player we saw that 3-2-2-3 hybrid zone that they were able to run a decent amount they did that against against uh, Philly a bunch and it really gave James Harden some issues and if you have Jared Allen you can run something similar if you know Jalen Brown's going out like going off like that just to throw something different at him but when you have no other playable centers on the um, roster, you just can't do that at all. So that's where it was like, it was kind of a bit of a perfect storm. And if you have Isaac, I think you're going to do, I think this game looks a lot different if Isaac was out there. And I also think it, it looks a lot different if just Jared Allen's out there and it looks a ton different if both are out there, which is what, you know, which is what you hope when we get to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, the Cavs have been the best defensive team pretty much the entire year. And while I personally think Mobley is the defensive player of the year, at least in the running, had to sneak that in there. Uh, the reality is this defense works because of 
Jared Allen and Isaac Coro. It's a team effort. It's a team defense type of thing. If you don't have a Coro on the point of attack, it's a lot easier for opponents to get into the paint. And if you don't have Allen, who is the primary anchor down there, Mobley is more of kind of the Swiss army knife who's all over the place and helping. It's just a lot easier for opponents to get going in those games. So it really was the perfect storm of just, you take a Coro and Allen off the board at the same time. And that causes a lot of problems for this defense, especially when Levert and Stevens are kind of uh, just playing against a player who really is a bad matchup for them. So uh, I think the big thing, the important thing is that a Coro needs to do enough to stay on the floor. That's something that worries me is that he's made huge strides or at least, you know, baby steps as a three point shooter. The volume is not there. He's still only attempting about two a game, two and a half, but he is shooting a career high 36% from the three point line this year, 44% since January, which is encouraging, but there are still plenty of games when you look through the box score where he goes over two over one, where he just really isn't an impact on offense. And that's fine in the regular season. In a playoff series, if he goes, you know, two or three games in a row without being an, an impact out there on offense, that could start to really hurt you. And you can't really give away games in the playoffs. So that's my concern for Coro. I trust that he's going to do a fantastic job defensively and he's going to throw everything he can at Brunson. I think having Allen back is obviously going to help a ton with that too. My worry is can Coro take that next step in the playoffs? I, I think that's fair to wonder. I've been somebody who's been really critical of Isaac and his offensive development all season, really basically since his, since he came into the league. That's something that I've questioned. But I don't think it's a huge question against the Knicks in a, in a first-round series just because they don't have those perimeter lockdown defenders that are really going to just, you know, lock up Darius or Donovan, you know, I worry about that in AM series against a team like the Bucks, who has, you know, AM holidays that they can throw out there. And then you add a help defender who's just like leaving Okoro on AM Island. I think that's, that's when things could get really dire. The Knicks don't really have that the uh, personnel to really make that a huge issue in my opinion. So I think the Cavs are going to function just fine. Even if Isaac isn't, you know, the Isaac Okoro we saw against the M Grizzlies where he was just making every three. So I'm a little less concerned about Isaac on the um, offensive end in a potential series against the Knicks, but obviously it would be very helpful if he was a good offensive player, you know, and if really what it is, is if he's a confident offensive player, who's decisively making decisions, that's, that's always been my main critique. It's like, if you want Isaac to be, a part of the offense, even if he isn't hitting shots, you want him attacking the basket when it makes sense, you know, diving, diving in from the corner. You want him confidently taking those shots, even if it doesn't go in. I wouldn't mind like a two for seven game for, for from three from Isaac, which is really what you never see. If he misses his first couple, he just stops shooting. So, you know, this is just a long way of saying, it. I think Isaac would be fine against the Knicks uh, on the um, offensive end. Yeah, uh, not to get ahead of myself, but once the Cavs sweep the Knicks and we do play like Milwaukee or Boston, these teams that can give a Coro trouble, I think the fact that he, you know, the Knicks are just, in my opinion, such a great matchup in the first round for the Cavs. Listen, it could be a very tough series. They could lose, but I feel like it is the best matchup for them just because the Cavs should be favored. They are the better team, I think. And the Knicks aren't really equipped to take away what they do best. Like the Cavs should be able to get play their brand of basketball. And as you mentioned, confidence is a big thing. This could be a very good series to build confidence for a Coro. Again, not to get ahead of myself, but four games against the Knicks where you get to, you know, kind of build some confidence to get a Coro involved offensively could go a long way to if you play Boston or Milwaukee in the future. Now Okoro has proven that he can do it at the playoff level, and he's feeling a little more sure of himself. And maybe we will get games where he starts off slow but keeps on shooting because that's the big thing here is that you can't get into a situation where he's not shooting anymore. If we get into game two or three of the series and he is not taking those corner threes, like things are going to get really – the Cavs are going to be in trouble. Uh, I don't think that will be an issue. I think 
maybe the biggest thing that he has done this season is improve his confidence. And I also think hitting that game winner against Brooklyn was one of the best things that could have happened to him because now Okoro knows that he can take and make big shots. And that's huge. If he starts off the series slow, uh, just to finish off this point here, if he starts off slow, he will know in the back of his head, I have taken big shots and I have made them. My teammates trust me. I know I can do it. And that'll hopefully allow him to keep on shooting despite a potential slump. One thing that I think gets brought up a lot is like in the play in, he was really taken out of his game and JB was forced to bench him in that um, Nets game. He just wasn't able to provide anything on offense and just had to go, you know, try to, to uh, try to keep up with Kyrie and KD. But in that Hawks game, I don't think it was his offense that really played him off the court. It was his inability to really stay with Trey on the defensive end that really caused JB to take him out of the game. So I think he's a better defensive player now than he was last year. I think the team as a whole has a better defensive strategy. So I don't see that happening again. But I think it's worth pointing out that the defensive side of the court was kind of where where he wasn't providing what you were wanting to see from him in the play in last year. And I, I don't have any reason to believe that's going to happen this year in the playoffs. Yeah. And I also think as the season has gone on, the Cavs really haven't dealt with that many issues in terms of a core on offense. Like even when he's not playing that well or having these games where he doesn't hit a three, the offense still runs generally pretty smooth. They're still uh, top 10 in offensive rating. I think they, they might even be fifth if I remember correctly. But the offense has been running good. It, uh, they're one of the best half-court offenses. I do think that, again, against like Boston or Milwaukee, it could become a problem because they are really going to stack the paint and put a lot of pressure on Mitchell and Garland. But Mitchell and Garland should be able to win their matchups in this uh, in this Knicks series. The Knicks don't have the greatest perimeter defenders. Josh Hart is someone who could give them some trouble, but I trust our guards to win that matchup. And we'll get more on that later. But in terms of Okoro, I do have faith in him. I do think, especially if it's going to be a situation where they're leaving him in the corner, I think he has proven now throughout this season and at the end of last season, there's enough of a sample size that like a Coro can hit a wide open corner three. Teams might still give it to him, but I trust him to hit the wide open corner three at a good enough rate. So that's uh, really all I have to say about a Coro. Anything else you want to add there? Uh, No. One thing that I do want to say about the Knicks though, that's kind of crazy is that, they have they hit like so many threes against the Cavs in their yeah. previous two games that they played. Yeah. Uh, cleaning the glass out of them at fifty one point five percent from three in their game in January, and then in the last game uh, they have them at forty eight point six percent. And this is a team that is a thirty five point seven percent three point shooting team, which is twenty first in the league. So we've also kind of seen the Knicks on the wrong night, as well as, you know, some other weird things happening. So yeah, if, you know, if they're going to be a 50% three point shooting team in the playoffs, I don't think there's anything that you can do about it. Yeah, you know, I mean... you're, they're going to, they're going to give the bucks and the Celtics some problems too, if that's the case, but that's just not who they've been. So, you know, I would expect that to cool off as well. Yeah, everyone uh, points to the fact that the Knicks are three and one against us this season, I believe, and like that's a reason for concern. I do think it's just worth mentioning that like every game we've played against the Knicks has, has been very weird. Uh, one of the first games, the one that we won, was in October, so that was really early on in the season. I don't think you can take too yep. much from that. Kevin Love scored, I think, twenty eight points that game. Yeah, which that I think was like Dean Wade hit a bunch of threes too. Like it was right. It, that was a weird game. No Darius. Uh, the travel game, as we've mentioned a couple of times, just super weird. Uh, Randall, in the 80s, that game. Yeah. They, I mean, the Knicks scored 130 in the most recent one, which, like, I would be surprised if either team has a night like that in the playoffs. I would be surprised if they even scored 120 in the playoffs because both these teams are uh, near the bottom of the league in pace, too. So mm-hmm. the most recent game was just such a weird game all around. Even the Cavs were shooting lights out for most of that game, too. So right. I don't think you're going to see anything like that. Uh, the other game was the it, Randall game. The Randall game, yeah, that's uh, like that's such an outlier in the sense of like I don't think Randall's going to do that in the playoffs. I do think the Cavs are going to play similar defense, but watching that game back, their rotations back then were not as good as they are now. 
they still play the same style, but like watching that game back, there were so many times where they, you know, swarmed someone in the paint and then Mitchell Garland, Levert, whoever just didn't make the second effort to get out and rotate. And when you look at how they play now, they are rotating a lot better on the perimeter and getting hands up. And that was in January, which was their worst yes. months of the um, yeah. season. That was when we were coming on here. Like, why don't the Cavs defend a three point shooter? <laughs> so, uh, and Randall was making some tough shots. I remember he made a couple mm. tough ones over like, a couple step backs. Yeah, yeah. Which is not really a part of this game. Mm. Yeah. And that's why it's like, it's an outlier game, but I, if any of these games are something you can take away from in the regular season, I do think the way the Cavs defended the Knicks is probably going to be very similar to how they defend him in the playoffs where it's like, you're not going to get in the paint against the Cavs. They allow the third fewest points in the paint. They do a very good job of locking that down. And that's really where Randall is, you know, that's his bread and butter. Brunson gets downhill and he's good at scoring again, floaters, mid range, getting into the paint. Randall's all, or I mean, Brunson's also a good three point shooter. But the Cavs are going to force Brunson and Randall to hit those tough shots from behind the three-point line. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to do it. And I guess this is a good time to just move into my next key, which is winning the star matchups. A lot of times in the playoffs, winning a series comes down to having the best player on the floor. I would feel confident saying that Donovan Mitchell should be the best player on the floor. Do you agree with that? Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, Yeah. Despite what, you know, some people have said like Donovan Mitchell is very good at basketball. He's also <laughs> been very good against the Knicks besides that one game. Also in January, the day he was, I believe it was his first game back from that groin injury where he just tried to like play hero ball mm-hmm. in a way that was destructive. And I think is kind of the whole reason why Corey keeps posting stuff about why um, the Cavs would be better with Donovan Mitchell, not taking a million shots. So, um, anyways, uh, he, but anyway, like, like Mitchell scored 40, like he scored 40 points on Friday. He scored 38 points in their first meeting of the season and he's looked really good against the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks have anybody who's going to make his life difficult. Also Donovan Mitchell throughout his career has really stepped up in the playoffs. He's saved his best basketball for the playoffs. The Cavs, when they went out and got Donovan Mitchell, I think a lot of people were focused on like, well, the Cavs could finally make the playoffs. And I think I think the thought process was, hey, when we do make the playoffs, we have a guy who's a known killer in the playoffs. You know, Mitchell is a better player now than he was when he was in Utah. And he was already, I guess, with the exception of that series against the um, Mavericks last year where everyone kind of gave up. Um he's been like the best player on the court in all the series that he's played in. So, you know, I don't expect that to change. If anything, I expect him to be even better than he's already shown to be. Yeah. Uh, known playoff performer, Donovan Mitchell. It's been fantastic all season. It's proven time and time again that when the lights are brightest, he's going to bring his best game. Uh, I like that you brought up the Corey thing because People have been pointing out the Cavs are five and six when Mitchell scores 40 plus points. Now, I think it's six and think, five. Six. Oh, is it six and five? I might yes. have had that backwards. Either way, there, you know, there is some truth to the fact that Mitchell sometimes plays a little bit of hero ball. He sometimes, uh, I don't want to say it's not that he trusts his teammates, but he calls his own number a lot when maybe getting other people involved would be a little more beneficial. But I do want to point out that in those games, Four of those losses are by two possessions or less, and it's probably fair to assume that if Donovan doesn't go for 40, they probably lose those games by a little bit more. Uh, And one other thing that I want to say, too, just because uh, this is something that was brought up in the Atlanta game where Donovan Mitchell had 40 and he took that kind of sidestep three, 30 seconds left, they're down by two. Yeah, you want to see him get a better shot, but also I do just want to say Donovan Mitchell is one of the greatest scorers on the planet. I'm not going to sit here and tell him which shot that he should take. I think whatever feels comfortable to Donovan Mitchell, that's the shot that he should be taking when the game's on the line. Personally, when you look at Stephen Curry pulling up from half court against the Thunder, that's not a good shot. But for Stephen Curry, that was a good shot. Damian Lillard, step back over Paul George from almost half court, not a good shot, but it's a good shot for Damian Lillard. So I think when Donovan Mitchell does go hero mode, it's very easy to get frustrated. Like, why are you shooting a step back? Why are you, you know, driving on three people at the end of the game? try to get someone else involved. It's like, well, this is why you traded for Donovan Mitchell because you need someone who's going to make those plays. And he actually does make those plays more often than not. So 
just had to say my piece about that. Yeah, I feel like those like I feel like the 40 point game is kind of like the stat that you always see during football season. Like this team is, you know, two and two and four when the starting quarterback throws 45 times for like 400 yards. And you're like, well, yeah, it's because they're losing those games. Like, you know, they needed that type of performance from their quarterback to even stay relevant. And that's kind of what I feel with Mitchell. Like a lot of these 40 point games are like, he's the one who's trying to like will the team to victory. And I feel like we saw that against the Hawks where it was like, definitely like the Cavs just didn't have it. The offense didn't have it that game. And he was just like, guys, we are, I am going to take them. I'm going to take you guys as far as I can. And he, and as you mentioned that like sidestep three, I believe he hit a three and pull up three on the previous right possession that. as yeah. well. So it's not like, it's not a situation where he's like, you know, I think we saw that a couple times. I believe the Miami game that the Cavs lost in January at home. We saw a situation where Mitchell didn't have it and was, because that was when he was going through his groin injury. He, he wasn't able to get, he didn't have any like juice off the dribble and he was settling for a lot of threes and it was like a two for nine game. And you're like, hey dude, like stop taking these threes if they're not going in but that that's not the situation most nights if he's taking that three it's because they've been going in more often than than i'm not Mm -hmm. exactly i again i do think it's fair that people will say well you should have tried to get a better shot but i did just want to make the point that i i trust donovan mitchell to do what feels best for him as one of the best scorers on the in the planet yeah and also one of the problems that the Cavs have had is creating off the dribble for themselves and that's kind of what you have to do at the end of games it's Mm -hmm. hard to it's really hard to run like offense in those situations and we've seen Darius Garland really struggle at times to just kind of put the team on his back on his own in 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 that kind of environment and that's another reason why the Cavs got Mitchell so that Darius didn't have to do that so it's like he's doing what he was brought here to do and you know, I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of Garland, this is, uh, uh, I don't think this is that hot of a take, but I will just say, I do think the Cavs, like we agree, Donovan Mitchell should most likely be the best player in this series. I think the Cavs have a legit case to have the three best players in the series. Now, will that happen? I don't know. Mobley is still very young. We don't know if we'll be able to outplay Randall and all that. I do think Garland, though, there's a very good chance that the Cavs could have the two best players in the series with Garland and Mitchell. And I do want to talk about Garland here. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for being a big game performer. He's not at the level of Mitchell, but he did score 46 points against Brooklyn, Katie and Kyrie earlier in the season. He put up 32 and 11 against Memphis the same night that he was uh, snubbed from the All-Star game. And he fought like hell in that game against Desmond Bain and Ja Morant. Uh, 29 and 12 against Boston. Last year in the play-in, he put up 40 against Brooklyn. He, I think he played a good game against Atlanta. He went through all the right procedures. Shots just didn't fall. But he still played a good game. Kept them in it. I think Darius Garland is a big game performer. And I'm very excited to see him in the playoffs. Specifically because he is such a masterful player. He's such a brilliant playmaker. And I think going against the same team over and over is going to give him an opportunity to really pick apart what the defense is doing. And when we compare Garland to Brunson, I think they're fairly similar in terms of talent level. I think there's a case to be made for either one, but the thing that separates Garland for me is his playmaking because Brunson, I would consider an above average playmaker. I wouldn't say he's a great one, definitely not the level of Darius Garland. And I think this is where you're going to see that difference is that, Garland doesn't need to shoot the ball to impact the game. He can completely control a game just through his passing and the decisions that he makes. And that's something that is going to be really fun to see in the playoffs as Garland, again, like I said, has an opportunity to go against the same defense, learn their tendencies, and really get to toy with them. Uh, So I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit here. Uh, I really – I think in the the regular season, over 48 games, I'd rather have – over 82 games, they don't play 48 <laughs> games, uh, 48 minutes they play. Um, but over over 82 games, I'd rather have Darius Garland. But I think in a playoff series, 
I think what you want most is somebody who can just kind of generate and carry an um, offense for extended stretches. And we know Jalen Brunson can do that in the playoffs. We saw him do that against Donovan Mitchell last year mm-hmm. in the first round. He's a proven playoff player. Um, and Darius Garland is not a proven playoff player. You know, I think, I think he played very well in those play-in games, but he also was outplayed in both of them by the opposing team star. So I think it's a, I think it's fair to just kind of wonder, okay, can Darius's game really translate over to the playoffs? I think, you know, I think what Darius provides and what he does best is very valuable. He is, you know, he, he, I think he's one of the best playmakers in the entire league. He gets the Cavs in and out of their offenses. He's, you know, really the quarterback of this team, you look at their um, on-off numbers, Darius Garland, it's just it's just crazy how much better they play with Darius on the court. But he does have the ability to kind of, you, you, can, you can lose him for like three to five minute stretches sometimes in games. And that's, I don't think you, you feel that way with Jalen Brunson. So I think Darius Garland is still a bit of a question mark. I like Darius Garland as a player more. But in a seven-game series, Jalen Brunson, I think I think he edges Garland out for me. That's fair. I I would definitely say Jalen Brunson is someone that can dominate a game in the playoff sense, like you said, like taking over an entire offense. That is something that Brunson has over Garland um, in terms of scoring and just putting the team on his back. Uh, I will say, just to be fair, I would probably, if I had to like do a tier list, I would say Donovan Mitchell's in tier one. And then tier two is just a cluster of like Brunson, Randall, Garland, Allen and Mobley are maybe a tier below or in the same tier, depending on how they perform. So I I do think it's closer than maybe I originally made it seem with how I was talking about Garland. But if the Cavs are going to win this series comfortably, they need to have two or three of the best players on the court. And they need specifically, they need to win the star matchups is mainly what I'm saying. I still think they can win even with Mitchell just being the best player, winning his matchup and Garland kind of getting outdueled by Brunson or whatever. I think Mitchell is good enough to carry them through the first round. But if you really want to see the Cavs playing their best brand of basketball, I think there's a case to be made that Garland could be more impactful than Brunson. What I think kind of makes this conversation a little difficult is the Cavs, I believe the Cavs and their core four really are more than the sum of their parts. The way they play off each other just really it fits really well. And that's something that's really rare to see among, you know, four all-star level or sub-all-star level players. So that's what makes the Cavs special when they're when they're all together, they're just, you know, they're just better on both sides of the ball. So it makes it hard to kind of like separate each one of them out, I think, for the purposes of this conversation. And one of the things that kind of makes me most excited about the playoffs is you're going to have more because everyone's going to be playing more minutes. You're going to have more time with all four on the court together. So I just kind of think that the Cavs could hit another level just by having all four of those guys out there and available. And, you know, if there's a um, injury and they're not, I think this team's in a really bad spot. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of, that's just how this team's built. They need, they need all four guys out there. And that's, that's kind of, it's not really the question of winning the star matchups, but it, but it kind of is because that's what the Cavs need. They need all four. And if you don't have all four, Donovan Mitchell is good enough to save you some games. Evan Mobley is good enough to keep your defense in some games, but without, without Allen, without somebody else, it's just not the same team and not the same dynamic. Hmm. Yeah. I agree with everything you said. I think that's kind of, what I'm getting at here is that with that core four together, if they're playing well and they're clicking, you could make a case that they're going to have three of the best players in the court. Mm. Not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that like, here's a good example. Like Kyrie was the best player against Curry. Like Kyrie played better than Curry, but you wouldn't say Curry was a better player in the same way that Brunson might be the better playoff performer, the better player than Garland. You might take him, but in this matchup with the core four playing together and now performing, the Nick stars Garland could be the better player on the floor. If that makes any sort of sense. I think to kind of extend that analogy, I think it's like saying, you know, 
kind of talking about like Draymond or Tristan where like Tristan Thompson, I don't know if he was actually that good of a basketball player, but his ability to fit in exactly what them, mm-hmm. what those Cavs teams needed just elevated that whole group. And same with like Draymond, you know, Draymond is a better basketball player than Tristan, just to, you know, just for the record, but his ability to fit with that team and provide exactly what they need elevated them. And that's kind of what all four of the Cavs do with each other. They just elevate each other's games. You know, Darius helps Donovan Mitchell by providing another on-ball player. Jared Allen helps Evan Mobley because Evan Mobley can go do Evan Mobley things and Jared Allen can just be the back line of the defense. And on and on offense, you know, Jared Allen's able to be that screener and, and roller. Evan Mobley's able to just relocate into space. They just fit so well together. And that's, that's why it's like, who's most important? Who is this and that? Like, I don't think they just work in concert together so well. And when we talk about what JB has done well and what Kobe has done well, it's they've brought in guys that fit and JB's got them all to buy in and play basketball in a way that optimizes them all the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fantastic points. I think, you know, when people ask why I feel so confident about the Cavs chances against the Knicks, it's because of what you just said. They, the, that core group played so well together. And I also think they're as perfectly suited as you could be to play against the Knicks. Like Randall going against Allen and Mobley is not going to be fun. Could he win that matchup? Could he still shine? Of course. But if I had to take any defensive front court to go against him, I would probably pick Allen and Mobley because that's just a very tough front court to score on. Uh, same thing with Brunson. Getting defended by a Coral does not seem very fun. Uh, and then on the flip side, having to defend Mitchell and Garland doesn't seem very fun either. They're going to hunt him as much as, you know, and, and the Cavs backcourt themselves, Mitchell and Garland, I won't say that they're good defenders, but they have performed above expectations, I would say. And so really this team, that starting lineup is just so good together and they match up very well with the Knicks. Yeah. And I think we see, we see that like, as we talked about earlier with the Jared Allen thing, the puzzle pieces don't fit. If you don't have Jared Allen out there, you know, like you're not able to use Evan Mobley on defense. Like you would like to, you're not able to get the offense rolling with good screens and stuff like that. So it's just, like the Cavs are like a puzzle. And if one of them is, if one of those four guys are missing, it's just, they're not like replaceable. So that's, that's where it's, you know, I guess kind of like one thing that we've seen with the Cavs, if you've been a Cavs fan for any length of time is LeBron was able to just elevate his game to such a level that it didn't matter who you put out there. He was able to cover their flaws. Oh, I just need, you know, if I can get Delhi to play decent Delhi ball for, you know, 40 minutes, I can beat the Hawks. I can beat the Bulls. I can beat the Warriors for some games. You know, we, if I'm able to get good minutes from Jeff Green, I can go into Boston and still a game seven because LeBron was so good at doing that. The Cavs don't have anybody to that level who can just overwhelm opponents with how skilled they are and that's okay because the Cavs overwhelm opponents with kind of how good they fit together and that's that's why I think people kind of sleep on sleep on like the Cavs chances and this is more so in like this series because people think it's going to be a really competitive series but also when you start talking about like a buck series and stuff it's like well the Cavs don't have a good bench it's like yeah but all their players are going to be playing 40 minutes. So, mm. you know, you're probably getting like two or three guys off the bench. You know, most teams don't have four guys playing 40 minutes. So it's just the Cavs are just a really different team than what we've seen recently among contenders in the NBA. And that's kind of what I'm most excited about seeing in the playoffs. Like, is that going to perform like I think it will? Or, you know, so that's that's what's so exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. And that's, again, why I think the Knicks are just such a good matchup because this is like the testing grounds here. Like, we're going to see how this group performs against a team that they should be able to beat. 
but it could be a very competitive series. And that would also be great for this Cavs team. If this series goes to seven games and the Cavs work through a lot of troubles and they manage to, to scrap and fight and get through at the end of it and go into the second round, that's worth a lot in the long run. And it's definitely something where like, if they would have gone against, this is a hypothetical, but like, let's say Miami really just clicked and was rolling. And now the Cavs are entering a series against an experienced team, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, guys who have been there before. It, the series would have been a lot harder and it would have been more of a you know harsh reality check of where the Cavs currently are with their youth. Against the Knicks, yeah, Randall and Brunson have experience, but they're not Jimmy Butler level experience. Like This is just a very good testing ground for this Cavs team. And the last star player that I want to mention and something that I'm just very excited to see Evan Mobley play against this Knicks team because if we're talking about testing ground, we've seen it all throughout the season. The fourth quarter comes around and Evan Mobley is just locked in. He knows what the other team's doing and he knows how to stop it defensively. You give him a full series against the same team and I'm just super excited to see how impactful he's going to be defensively. Of course, he's 21 years old. He's going against an all-star. We'll see how well he holds up. I feel very confident in it, but it's just going to be so fun to see Mobley on this big stage in a month where, I mean, every month this season, he's just gotten better and better and he keeps improving his game. He's scoring more. He's rebounding. His blocks are going up. He's just having such an all around impact. And I'm thrilled to see what he's going to look like on the playoff stage. Uh, Yeah, it's, I think over the last month and two months, we've kind of, you know, our, our expectations of who Evan Mobley is, is as a player feels like they've been sped up a little bit just because of how good he's been, you know, in that, in that recent article with the ringer uh, talking all about Evan Mobley. It's a great, it's a great article. Um, Donovan Mitchell's like, I think he could be a top five player. And I believe those quotes were probably, I believe they're from like January and I feel yeah, like, like late you, December. Yeah. And I, and I, I feel like if you ask Donovan that same question now, it's like, oh yeah, he could be like the best player in the entire league. And that's just kind of the way he's developed has kind of made you think that like not saying it will happen, but he has the tools to be that kind of guy. And we've seen that at times this season. And that's, you know, the playoffs are what separate the good players from the great players. You know, we don't know if, Evan Mobley is a 16 game player as Draymond Green likes to say. I think he's gonna I think he is a 16 game player. I think he's better suited in the playoff series than he is in a regular than in the regular season. I'm excited to see what he does when he's facing the same team over and over again. Is he gonna be able to just shut down their actions before they can even get started? You know, so it it's a really exciting time to see. And there could be some growing pains, but he could also just come out and, you know, just Keep proving us all, just just prove us all wrong and just defy all the norms that we've come to expect from young bigs. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if Mobley and Allen are available and healthy throughout this first round series, it's going to give New York so much trouble. That's, again, one of the reasons why I just feel so optimistic about the Cavs' chances because, like, Mobley is just different, man. Like, it's going to be really difficult, especially if he's surrounded with Allen and Okoro, again, all of these pieces of the puzzle that help bring out the best in him. Yes, he's 21 years old. Yes, we're not sure how he's going to perform. But, man, if Evan Mobley continues to shine the way he has been, it's going to be very difficult for New York to do what they want to do. And I just feel more confident in Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, fighting through whatever the Knicks throw at them. Because I just think, again, this is why I brought up Garland's playmaking, is because Garland might not – you know, he might not have the best shooting nights, but he still is very impactful with his playmaking. And that's something where, you know, Randall's a good playmaker for his position, but if you're swarming him with uh, Allen and Mobley, I don't think he is a good enough playmaker consistently to make decisions that's just going to kill you for, for doubling him. Like, that's one of the things that Giannis, I think, has done that separates him uh, from a lot of the other, uh, like Joel Embiid, for example. Giannis has become really good at passing when he gets trapped. And that's not something that Randall, I think, is excels at. And so, again, Allen and Mobley are available. It's going to make it very difficult for the Knicks. And with Mobley, really, I just I can't wait to see what he looks like with the entire you know national media getting a good look at him because that's the other thing that I love about the fact that we're playing the Knicks is like 
all the national media wants the Knicks to win this series. And I would, it would just be so sweet if the Cavs, you know, rained on their parade there. As everyone knows, uh, basketball is better when the Knicks are good. Nobody can prove <laughs> why or how because they haven't been good for like yeah. 30 years. I guess but basketball hasn't been good for a while then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. I agree. Uh, well, I think we've said enough about the Knicks. Now I want to toss it over to the Cleveland Charge specialist here. Give us a little brief rundown of uh, a very good season for the Charge. I admittedly don't follow as much as I probably should, but they had a very fun season. Isaiah Mobley, another Mobley doing incredible things. Jackson, take it away. All right. Uh, so I watch all the Charge games, so you don't have to. Um <laughs> So the G League has a single elimination playoffs uh, until the finals and it's a three-game series. The Charge had to win their last four games to make it to the playoffs, and they were able to do so. One of the things that I think is most exciting about that is how well uh, Isaiah Mobley, uh, Sam Merrill, who's been on assignment, uh, you know, started the season with the Charge, obviously, but has been on assignment during his playoff push, and how well Dylan Windler played before, once again, getting injured, unfortunately. But in those four games, the charge, the first game that they won to get into the playoffs, they were down 24 in the third quarter before Isaiah Mobley and Sam Merrill said, you know, we're not going to let this team lose this game. And they were able to come back and win. And they just kept doing these comeback victories on the back of Isaiah Mobley, Sam Merrill, Dylan Windler, and a Sharif Cooper. One of the most exciting things, one of the most encouraging things about this season has been how well Isaiah Mobley has played when he really needs to. He showed that he is a, that he's not afraid of the spotlight. I know it's, it's sometimes hard to talk about um, like G League games as being pressure situations just because if you ever turn on a G League game, there's like, it seems like 28 people in the gym that are fans, you know, it feels like, does anybody actually care about this? And when you're around these guys, they care about this so much. Like this is, this is everything to them. The same with all these coaching staffs and stuff. These games for guys like Isaiah Mobley mean a whole lot. And to play your best when it matters most to you is a, I think one of the most important things in sports, the charge lost their game to long Island in the uh, second round of the playoffs, but Isaiah Mobley scored 34 points, the most points he scored uh, this season. And it was a situation where the charge really needed the most from him. The charges, um, their center, uh, Mamadi Diakite, it will, was with the Cavs, so he wasn't with the team. Um, DeMarco Pickett has been the backup big when uh, Mobley and, and Diakite are playing, but he's been mostly the starter because Diakite has been with the Cavs more often than not, and he's and he's been injured recently. So Dylan Windler was put in as a forward because he's an incredible rebounder, but he was injured in the last game. So the charge basically ran a four-guard lineup out there and basically – the only time another big was out there was when Isaiah Mobley was actually taken off for like five minutes. So Isaiah was forced to be the only back line of defense. And he did that. He played great on the defensive end, but he also was the team's best offensive player on a night that Sam Merrill was one for 12 from three, you know, like those nights happen when you're a shooter, but yeah, Isaiah being able to just kind of take over that game on both ends of the court and really put the charge in a position to win. That's what's most exciting. He is, you know, I think the natural reaction to uh, hearing that the Cavs drafted Isaiah Mobley was like, Oh, they drafted him because Evan Mobley's could be the best player in the NBA. So let's make him happy. But Isaiah Mobley's a very good basketball player. He's not, he's not Evan. I think that's fairly obvious. If he was Evan, he would have been drafted number, you know, Peter drafted <laughs> in the top five, but that's not who he is. He's just 
you know, he's 6'10", he's not seven feet tall, he doesn't have the foot speed, but he's very good at, like, he's very good, and he's someone that I think should should be able to give you really good minutes next year. I would rather, I you know, if it was up to me, I would have liked to, I would like to see Isaiah Mobley play for the Cavs, especially in games like the one against them. You know, he was, he was with the charge that game when they were playing the Knicks, but mm-hmm. he's somebody that I'd like to see get minutes. He's going to give you a lot more than Robin, Lo- you know, Robin <laughs> Lopez. I think he's, you know, He's going to provide better rebounding than Dean Wade. I, mm. I think he, I just think he's a good basketball player, and I think Cavs fans should be excited about what he could mean to this team going forward. Yeah, Isaiah Mobley just seems like a, a great dude. Uh, it's very encouraging to see the way that he has played with the Charge. I, I, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of people kind of thought that maybe this was like a Thanasis Antetokounmpo situation where it's like, oh, we're just going to bring his brother in because he's a great player, but no. He has, you know, more than proven himself at the G League level that he is a very good basketball player. Uh, it's safe to assume that he's going to be sticking around the team heading into the summer and training camp and all that. Uh, I would have been happy if they would have brought him on full time, give him some minutes here, uh, play the backup big because, as you said, Robin Lopez. Most guys can give you more than what Robin Lopez is giving you right now, but I kind of, I kind of wonder if it's because. I don't think they're going to do it, but part part of me would be tempted to like release Robin Lopez and maybe not Isaiah Mobley, but give that contract to to Mamadi just so you can use him in the playoffs. Yeah, because um, because it's like, man, if you know, if Robin Lopez could help an NBA team this was the team for him to help and he's not able to really do so. So mm. I don't think, I don't think Mamadi is, I think Mamadi Diakite has some warts that really show when you play him for extended minutes. Um, mm. I think he, you know, I think there's a reason why he's playing more than like Isaiah because he's a bigger, more ready NBA body. Yeah, more NBA Whereas ready. Isaiah's not, I think Isaiah, I think Isaiah is more ready than, given credit for but i just i just don't know what the point of robin is for the playoff rotation like for the playoffs so that's something to maybe keep an eye on you we sometimes see you know the Cavs are notorious for signing somebody the last day of the regular season mm-hmm. and then having him throughout the playoff run and i wouldn't be t- too surprised if something similar like that happened but we'll that'd see. be interesting I, I will just say if Robin Lopez is on the court for the Cavs during the series, everything I just said throughout this podcast is void. Just ignore everything I said because clearly something didn't go as planned. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, exciting times with the two Mobley brothers. I do hope to see him stick around the team. I hope Sam Merrill sticks around the team. I hope they continue to give him a chance because one for 12 from the three-point line isn't great, but it would be nice to see someone other than Donovan Mitchell take 12 three-pointers in a Cavs uniform. Uh, just someone who can space the floor, move without the ball, and isn't afraid to get up shots could certainly help this team moving forward. And we've talked about this all year. If the Cavs are going to improve, it has to be on the margins and finding these little hidden gems. And so it's very exciting to have two potential guys that could play a role in the future. Yeah, one thing I do want to say to Sam Merrill's credit is he was the reason they won against in their first mm-hmm. round matchup. He had 28 points on six of 13 shooting from three. So it was very yeah. much at one, one for 12 is an outlier. Yeah. Yeah. But- <laughs> it's just, just one of those situations where like it just wasn't going in, but they needed him to keep putting it up because mm-hmm. they were really shorthanded. So, yeah. Yeah. But- well, uh, great charge season. It's unfortunate that it came to an end, but we got the Cavs entering their postseason run. Hopefully, they'll make it even farther. Uh, yeah. We just for... have, oh, so go ahead. We just have to off. make it through the next like week and a half of basketball that doesn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah, it's, it's like the preseason all all over again. It's like mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what this you is all about. Games. Just avoiding injury, getting healthy, and getting ready because. Yeah, we don't have – I think we play the Magic twice, the Pacers, and it's just – 
Not much Charlotte. to play for here. Charlotte, yeah. not much to play for, but wrap up home court advantage, get into the playoffs, and have a good series against the Knicks. I think it's going to be fun. I think it could go the distance. I don't think it's going to – like. I don't want to sound overly confident. I don't want to act like they're just going to steamroll the Knicks. I think they're the better team, and I think that if everything goes well, they could, but we'll see. Cavs I'm excited for it. Cavs in five. You heard it here first. Uh, Jackson, thanks again. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe, follow us on Twitter, and go Cavs. I agree. Go Cavs.